letter to the Ephesians. So then, putting away falsehood, let us all speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands, so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up, as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with which you were marked with the seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there who had a withered hand. They watched him to see whether he would cure him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Come forward. Then he said to them, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? to save life or to kill, but they were silent. He looked around at them with anger. He was grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately conspired with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Would you pray with me? May the words and meditations and conversations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. Amen. When was uh, the last time you looked in the mirror? Maybe it was this morning on your way here, not making sure that you just didn't look too exhausted, or maybe it was uh, checking your teeth to make sure you didn't leave any food, any bits of that sesame from your everything bagel. Um, but when was the last time you really looked in the mirror and lingered? We don't like to do that. Why? Because it's uncomfortable. We so quickly move to focusing in on our imperfections or the parts of us that we like the least. And right, it's not just how we look, but it's who we are. We prefer to just glance. We are doing something rather uncomfortable during this Lenten season with our sermon series on the seven deadly sins. It's uncomfortable. And I'm not sure if there's a better way to say that. We are looking at these destructive patterns of our life and we're doing the crazy thing of asking God to help us see ourselves in them. We are studying sloth, wrath, greed, envy, lust, gluttony, and pride while saying, Lord, have mercy. And the hope, 
we, the reason that we do this is not in order to heap guilt or shame, but we do this because we believe God is still moving in our world and that he's actually bringing it to a place of complete justice and complete peace. And he's doing this by pouring out his spirit of Jesus on his people, those who still struggle with these sins. This morning, we are looking at the deadly sin of wrath, or as we more commonly refer to it, anger. Anger is self-evident. Anger, right, when we get angry, our heart rate goes up, our blood pressure increases, as do our energy-boosting levels and hormones and adrenaline, it all goes up. Anger can be close to insanity. A three-year-old has a temper, you try and calm them with your voice. A 30-year-old has a temper, you try not to laugh and you get out of the way. In our anger, we can say things that we never thought we'd say. In our anger, we can do things that we never thought we would do. We become versions of ourselves that we don't recognize. In fact, versions that are less human. Be angry, but do not sin. The Apostle Paul writes these words to a community not unlike us. The church that first received this letter in Ephesus, it's a major urban area where business and worship and life are all played out on top of each other. And he frequently uses this word family to describe this community. Right, there's families, sure, in the church at Ephesus, but the church was also to understand itself as family. It doesn't take much of an imagination to begin thinking about anger in the context of family. It's the people you live closest to that often can easily set you off into anger, whether that be family members or roommates or what have you. Be angry, but do not sin. This past week, uh, or let me say this, we have, there are plenty of reasons that we have and can have to be angry as we move through this world. This past week, Chris Tuck and I were in Chicago at a, a classes gathering, which is just a church word of saying it's a, a gathering of church leaders in our denomination. And we were in Chicago, and our denomination traces its history back to Dutch migration. So in the first, the first wave of Dutch immigrants came over in the 16th century, right, settled around in the New York area and the northern New Jersey. And the second wave came over and settled in the, the Midwest. And so we spent two days with a pastor in the Inglewood neighborhood, He's on, which is on the south side of Chicago. He's a black pastor speaking to mostly white pastors. And as he told us about his church and what God was up to and doing in their neighborhood, he also told us about the history of churches in this neighborhood and how most of these churches had left in the 50s and 60s because the neighborhood was not as white as it once was. Our denomination's churches were among the many who up and left. And it angered me as I heard this history, not that I hadn't heard it before, I'd read various uh, studies of, of white flight, various histories, but it was what was different was being in this neighborhood and actually imagining a people angry. Angry as an entire community, angry at the resources being taken from them taken to the land of comfort, angry at the neglected schools and parks, angry at being left for dead, 
by their brothers and sisters in Christ. We have plenty of reasons to be angry as we move through this world. You've been speaking just for a moment, moment to the tragedy that has happened a few days ago in New Zealand. An act of terrorism rooted in white supremacy that leaves us angered. In dealing with an emotion like anger, it's not enough to say don't be emotional, right? Because God created us to be caring, passionate, and even feeling animals. Our emotions do all kinds of things, but perhaps most importantly, they're meant to alert us to the brokenness of life. Anger is an appropriate, can be, an appropriate response to injustice. Things are not right, and our bodies know it. Be angry, but do not sin. I think if we want to understand, begin to understand what this means and what the Apostle Paul is getting at, I think we have to begin with the anger of God. And when we start to talk about God's anger, we bring the word wrath back into it because in church circles or in theological discourse, we still talk about God's wrath. Now for many, this topic has been used to incite fear, right? Maybe you sit in this room and the, only, and the picture that you really do have of God is that he's angry. Or maybe at best he's, he's just a curmudgeon sitting on his cosmic porch yelling at the kids in the street, asking them, or yelling, be quiet or go somewhere else. Anytime we begin to think about God's wrath, it's helpful to think about it in the context of the entire story of Scripture. For instance, if you were here this, or last week, when Chris talked on the deadly sin of sloth, one of the things that we see from Scripture as you move through it is that God is a caring and passionate character. He's not aloof or indifferent but completely wrapped up and invested in his people. God's wrath is connected to his passionate love. And one of the caricatures, right, of the God of the Bible, right, the God of the Old Testament is angry, God of the New Testament is nice. Well, this morning we have a brief little vignette in the New Testament of Jesus, God in flesh, getting angry. This encounter takes place between Jesus and the Pharisees. And the conflict is over whether it is right to heal or not on the Sabbath. The Pharisees are watching Jesus like a hawk because they want to accuse him. They want to be right. And so Jesus turns it on them and puts this question before them. He says, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save life or kill? That may seem like a no-brainer, But those witnessing this moment, and even the first hearers of this, it's not so straightforward. Because for the first century Jew, the Sabbath is not just important, it's of the utmost importance. It's what sets them apart. This one day in seven was set apart to remind them of who they were and how they were to live in the world. It connected them to God's creation of the world and the recreation that he was doing. And the Sabbath rest that he would one day lead his people into out of the oppression that they currently experienced this was the sabbath to them it was a point of religious and national pride but this encounter shows the pharisees the keepers of this law of the law were more fixated on the rule than the reality that was right in front of them the one who would bring this sabbath rest the one who In him, things were beginning to be 
undone. It was here. But notice how Jesus gets angry. He's angered and grieved. For so, much, so many of us, we'd just much rather be angry, right? Anger is a lot easier than grief. Anger gives us some sense of control, something that we take and can have in our hands. And maybe that's why we let it out, right, on, in the blog comment sections or on social media. If the words that we use can control the narrative rather than actually having to engage the other side or this other person or whoever it may be. Jesus is angry and grieved. The hardness of heart that he sees in the Pharisees. He loves them and he's angry. He is angered by their lack of love for this man. He is angry that they care more about being justified by their own rule keeping than about the restoration that God's kingdom justice is bringing. Now, how does he respond in anger? Jesus doesn't lash out with his words or even with something in his hand. No, he doesn't go off on the Pharisees. But he also doesn't back down. He heals a man with a withered hand. And this encounter ends. And the Pharisees are scheming to destroy Jesus. You don't get to a place of wanting to destroy someone without going through anger. The Pharisees are angry. Be angry, but do not sin. So when does anger slip into sin? Or to put it another way, when does anger become destructive? William Willimon suggests this, that the sin of anger depends not, or excuse me, the sin of anger depends upon the frequency and its duration. Prolonged attachment to anger is the bad thing not the momentary bad-tempered outburst. Anger is the master that keeps us out of the world of others by locking us within ourselves. Anger is the master that keeps us out of the world of others by locking us within ourselves. We take our anger and we stew. We scheme, mulling over and over the wrong that has been done to us. And it's often in the stewing that our resentment comes out in these outbursts. When we are locked within ourselves, we judge according to our prejudice, right? What is prejudice? The Latin word, it comes from the Latin word literally pre-Judas, literally judging before the time, before we know the whole story. We know exactly what's going on in that other vehicle and why they look like they're cursing us out. We know exactly why our colleague makes those passive-aggressive remarks at us. We know exactly why those people think the way they do. Those people being anybody that disagrees with us. And so we execute justice right then and there, or we execute it by harboring judgments, these thoughts in our head. So when the Apostle Paul says, do not let the sun go down on your anger, it's an invitation to be freed from the imprisonment of your own thoughts. Deal with your anger quickly. That doesn't necessarily mean right away. Okay, I think we can acknowledge that anger may not be the best mode of interacting and, and figuring things out with one another. But don't let the anger stew into resentment. 
That's where the devil does his best work. The great deceiver, deceiving us into the belief that we have it all figured out, that we make the judgment and know the judgment. I want to conclude with a quote from Thomas Merton. I think helps us think about the next steps. We are not at peace with others because we are not at peace with ourselves. And we are not at peace with ourselves because we are not at peace with God. If you're an angry person, can I ask you this? Are you angry with God? I ask that as a pastor and I ask that as a fellow angry person. Because if you find yourself angry and not even sure really why, it's the small things that set you off. Because as I was reflecting this week over past anger, angry outbursts or angry occurrences, what I found was there's so much more going on beneath the surface. That usually the outbursts are a show. A show to cover up something more going on. Fear, insecurity, fear, scared, confusion. I'm not really angry at that other driver. Or I'm not really angry at my spouse. I'm not really angry at my three-month-old who's crying and I don't really know why. My pastoral advice here is to not let the sun go down on your anger with God. God can handle your anger. In a few weeks, we're going to rehearse the stories of Holy Week. And we'll gather on Good Friday to rehearse the particular scenes and the ways it played out that week. We'll remember the story of when God came to us, when he came to us in passionate pursuit to free us from our sins. He said, come to me. And yet, what do we say? Crucify him. We wanted to destroy Jesus, and yet he forgave us. God can handle your anger because he's already seen the worst of it. He's taken our greatest pain and our greatest sin, and he chose not to be angry with us, but instead forgive. Not backing down, but healing us. Deal with your anger with God. And I don't think that that will make everything better right away. I don't think that you'll get the answers to maybe the fears or the confusion or the insecurities that lie under your anger. But I do think the Spirit of God is up to good when we come to him vulnerably. When we seek his presence, trusting that he knows our stories and that he holds them with care. Just maybe... This is the first step towards being freed from the anger that feels like it is so enslaving. So that you can be controlled by something else, like God's kindness. So put away all bitterness and wrath and anger and be kind to one another, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. Father, your kindness is unmatched towards us. It is so patient. It is forbearing. And ultimately, 
uh, your kindness towards us is restorative. And so help us to believe that. Help us to trust that you are doing what you said you would do. Free us from our sins. Raise us up to new life in our Savior Jesus. Help us as we continue in our worship to look up to the one who has freed us. We ask this in your name. Amen.